Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good Friday morning, everyone. This is Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church. We thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, the Wittenberg Door is a call-in program, so as we examine uh, the world and us uh, from a Christian perspective, if you'd like to make a contribution to the program, if you have a question or a comment you'd like to make, we invite you to participate. The number is 740-383-9944. That's 383-WWGH. So, uh, last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and many of you know, uh, uh, many of you who went to church on Easter Sunday, uh, know it's about the resurrection of our Lord uh, the week before, we did a program on uh, the Passion of Christ. Uh, last Friday was Good Friday. And when you take these days into account, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, are the holiest days of the church here. And uh, because this is what God came to do for us. He came to be betrayed into the hands of sinners he came to suffer and die on our behalf for our sins. And he came to rise again to defeat death and to destroy its power and to bring light and everlasting life and, and uh, salvation to light uh, through the resurrection. And so now the church goes out and, and makes this broadcast. Uh, 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 we, we say Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It's the good news that your sins have been atoned for. It's the good news that death doesn't get the final say. It's the good news that God loves you and has made a way of salvation for you through his son, Jesus Christ. So it's uh, very joyous this season of the church year now for Lutherans and other liturgical churches. Uh, the Easter, uh, Easter is not a day, but it's a season. And it lasts for eight weeks. It lasts until the, the day of Pentecost. And the reason we take a whole season and we celebrate Easter is because there is so much to this story of the gospel. There's so much uh, truth that's found in Easter that trying to in, uh, cover it in, in uh, one day would be, would be impossible. So during Easter, we think about during the Easter season, we think about the resurrection appearances of Jesus and all that it meant and all that he said and what the implications are for us today. So a little later on, when we get into the readings for this coming Sunday, uh, we're going uh, to talk about um, what those implications are, what exactly Christ has done for us in his dying and rising again. Um, but before we do that, we're going to go back to, before we, uh, before the last couple broadcasts, 
when we were specifically addressing the passion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, we were going through a series on the catechism, Luther's small catechism. And especially we were have been dwelling on the Ten Commandments. And uh, so we're going to go back to that this morning. Uh, I want to remind you that if you have a question or comment as we're going along, uh, this is a call-in program, and the number is 740-383-9944. I invite you to call with a, a question or a comment. We'd love to have you call. So, uh, so this week, we're going to feature the Eighth Commandment. Now, the Eighth Commandment uh, falls within the what, what we call the Second Table of the Law. When God gave the law to Moses, he gave it on two tablets, two stone tablets, written by the finger of God. And uh, we might say to ourselves, why did he, why did he give it to Moses on, on two tablets? You know, there's ten commandments, why not ten tablets? Of course, that'd be pretty heavy to, to bring down. Uh, but there's, uh, you know, one, one set of commandments, uh, maybe one tablet, right? Why two tablets? You know, Jesus will later summarize the, the meaning of the law. Uh, what does the law mean? And uh, he, he will say, uh, you shall love, even Moses actually even says this, and Jesus reiterates it, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the Ten Commandments uh, uh, obligate us to love God, and they obligate us to love our neighbor. So the Eighth Commandment falls within that second table of the law. The, the law is about loving our neighbor, which includes uh, honoring our father and mother and respecting authority. It includes uh, helping our neighbor in need uh, um, and uh, being careful uh, for his life, uh, guarding the life of our neighbor, uh, not murdering. And it includes uh, sexual purity. It includes... Uh, being happy that our neighbor has certain possessions and not trying to take our neighbor's possessions, not stealing. Um, and then today we say, the Eighth Commandment is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, sometimes when you see this commandment uh, on uh, little displays, sometimes you might see it in a home or you might see it uh, at a courthouse somewhere still, the, the public spaces, you will still find the Ten Commandments in certain places. Um, and sometimes you'll see this commandment summarized as, you shall not lie. Now, of course, God hates a lying tongue. Right? <laughs> Liars cause a lot of trouble in the world. But the commandment is about more than lying. The commandment is about, it, it's about, uh, Ultimately, it's about guarding your neighbor's reputation. Just as we uh, are careful with and, and want to see our neighbor's possessions in the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. We want to make sure that he is able to guard and keep his possessions. So in the, in the eighth commandment, what, we want, uh, what God wants for us to do is, is to be careful with our neighbor's reputation. You know, a reputation is a very important thing in the world. And once you lose your reputation, once you, once you uh, soil the reputation, uh, life can be very difficult. Uh, it's hard to gain back somebody's trust once they've decided not to trust you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Lee, thank you for joining us. 
so we're talking about the Eighth Commandment, Lee, and, and, uh, and about guarding the reputation of our neighbor. And uh, So you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Well, so the first part of this commandment deals with, uh, we might say in one way, what God is saying is, don't tell lies about your neighbor. Don't slander them. Don't, uh, uh, you know, pass on rumors. You know, uh, Proverbs says that that gossip is like a dainty morsel. You know, it's very sweet. Uh, it, it, because of our sinful nature, it, you know, it's like uh, tasting some very sugary snack that, you know, just delights you. And, and that's really what gossip does. Gossip just delights us. But as we are kind of reveling in the sins of our neighbor or the shame of our neighbor, uh, really what we're doing is uh, tearing down our neighbor and, and making life much more difficult for them. Now, uh, what God actually commands us to do here in this commandment is to protect the reputation of our neighbor. So when Luther explains the commandment, he says, we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Now, we're in the middle of a political season right now. And I, I think that politics is the art of breaking the Eighth Commandment. <laughs> You know, your, your, uh, your opponent, you tear down your opponent, you tell lies about your opponent in order to get a leg up. And, and it works. Unfortunately, uh, people are attuned to lies about others and uh, tearing down the reputation of others. And so uh, it, it's a tactic that works in our, in our current politics, but very displeasing to God. Uh, we are, when our neighbor is faced with accusations, we're to defend them, we're to uh, speak well of them when others aren't, and we're to explain even circumstances that don't look good in the kindest way. In other words, uh, you know, giving, giving the person room for doubt or you know, having to have a little room for doubt in your, in your opinion of them. Um, it's very difficult to do because, like I said, our human nature is militate against this. We love gossip. S- simple rule, though. I think we all were taught as children, or should have been, if you can't say something nice... Don't say anything at all. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty simple rule. That's right, yeah. Yeah, but unfortunately we don't keep it. And when we don't keep it, we're guilty not just before men... Uh, we're guilty before God. By the way, and this is an important thing, you know, if you're going around gossiping all the time, and the first thing you do is, uh, when you get together with your friends, is you dish up all the gossip. Uh, Your friends eventually have to wonder something about you, don't they? Yeah. What are you... What are you doing when you're not around them? Yeah, what are you saying are, about what me? Are you saying about, yeah. Well, yeah. And sometimes I wonder when, when all anybody has to talk about is gossip, you wonder when, they, when they're not around you what they're saying about you. And uh, so it's a, it's a, so, but you're, you're really sitting against your neighbor. You're hurting them in, in very real and substantial ways. But you're sitting against God 
who wants your neighbor's reputation protected. And, uh, and so it's a very displeasing thing to God. When, when, we, when we gossip, we become guilty, right? And this has often been called, gossip has often been called the favorite sin of Christians, right? The Christians know, at least they should know. They shouldn't be out getting drunk. You know, they shouldn't be out committing adultery. Uh, and so what do they do? They get their pleasure vicariously by talking about other people who are out getting drunk or committing adultery, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but on the other hand, this is one of the big ten. This is part of the Decalogue. It's it's uh, Breaking this sin is no different. Has carries no less consequence. That's right. Than murder. Than murder. Than murder. Or adultery. Or, or adultery. The that, or the things that we like to gossip about. Or idolatry. Right, yes. It, 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 well, of course, you know, James says when you've broken the law in one place, you've broken it in all places. In other words... The law is kind of like a balloon, right? And you can't just break it a little bit. Once you put the smallest pinprick in the balloon, the whole thing is gone, right? Yeah. It's like the old saying, you can't get a little bit pregnant, right? And, uh, and so once you break the law, once you become a gossip, for instance, you are guilty. And you're as guilty as the murderer, as the adulterer, or as the blasphemer. Of and that's why people in the world think of Christians as hypocrites. Because yeah. And, and, and Christians are hypocrites. <laughs> many, many times. Yeah. And Jesus told us, judge not lest you be judged. And that leads to kind of an interesting paradox because we're also told to be the salt of the, salt of the earth. Yes. That salt that's lost its saltness. Right. Uh, is of no good. Yeah. So how do we be salt and not judge? Right. Well, uh, yeah, by the way, in that context, I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. That, nevertheless, that's yeah. the, that's the, uh, the CNN version of, yes. yeah. Yeah. Of, of Christianity. Yeah, when Jesus says, don't, do not judge lest you be judged, he, he means the same thing as when he goes on and says, do not condemn lest you be condemned. In other words, we don't pass judgment on people in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, we say they're, well, they're, they're done for. There's no hope for them. They're going to hell, you know. And uh, right, we have uh, to thankfully, most Christians don't do that. Well, not if, not if you read your Bible. Yeah. Not if you read Romans right. 1 and 2. You realize yeah. that you're as much a sinner as, as Hitler or... That's right. Jeffrey Dahmer, or, you That's know, right. name, name a notoriously... Because person. once you've broken the law, you've broken the whole thing. Exactly. You God does not grade on the curve. Yes, that's right. You can't break it a little bit. Now, uh, does that mean... Uh, let me ask you this then, Lee, because this, this does bring up an interesting point. Christians do talk about right and wrong. Especially as we may be, you know, in society, as we see... Uh, as we see um, what 50 years ago or 100 years ago would have been understood as right and wrong. Well, and when we see those definitions changing... But that's where the Ten Commandments are so important because yeah. they're an absolute. 
sense of right and wrong. Right. Not a relative sense that changes with the with the culture or That's the trends. Right. That's right. Uh, and and we look at our current society as they did 50 years ago. 50 yeah. years ago, I I have some recorded sermons where where the pastor is basically decrying the same things we're decrying today. Yeah. They they're more prevalent now. Right. They've almost been normalized. Yes. Things, you know, things like cohabitation and Yes. and uh, uh, all kinds of not just uh, perversions, but also kinds of you know work. Uh, no respect for the Sabbath. No respect for parents. Right. You know these are things that we can objectively look at the Word of God, and it tells us all that we're that we're all sinners. Right. There's no exemptions. Right. And right. it's and it's even more prevalent and more easy to identify nowadays. Yeah. So it's that absolute sense of right and wrong that that God gives us. Which, frankly, is what the the world hates. Yeah. It hates that absolute. It right. wants everything to be relative to the way that I feel or justified on the basis of some exemption that yeah. you know that I think I have. So, talking about things, talking about behavior, uh, isn't really the same thing as trying to destroy the reputation of a person. Not. No, if it's pointed at an individual, yeah, and it's not reflected back on myself as a member of society, right? Then yeah, that's you know that's uh, breaking the eighth commandment. If I right. talk about a person, yeah. if I talk about all of us in general, and what's and in the fact that and I'm what's a participant right wrong. in it, too, yes, yes, you know, I, I yeah. need to be saved as much as everybody else does, absolutely. And yeah. and that's that relative thing. That's the yes, I'm a hypocrite too. Yeah. Just like everybody else is, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we say one thing and do something else. It's just what we do, and uh, and we cross the line when um, when our when our judgment of right and wrong becomes directed toward a person in individual. particular yeah. for the purpose of tearing them down, right. for the purpose of destroying their reputation. Right. Right. So, Having. Yeah. So. Very good. So that's the eighth commandment, folks. We'll continue next week with. Um, with the ninth commandment, uh, but but uh, as we continue with the program, want to remind you this is a call-in program. If you have something to say, comment or a question, we do invite you to do that. The number seven four zero three eight three nine nine four four. But we're going to move on now, and we're going to point ahead toward the lessons uh, this coming Sunday for uh, our lectionary, and um, these lessons, uh, uh, Lee. Uh, we find the first one in Ezekiel, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is Ezekiel 32, verses 1 through 14, and this is from the English Standard Version. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, Consider yourself a lion in the, of the uh, Do you have, I'm sorry, <laughs> we got a different, I have the Valley of Dry Bones, chapter 37, what what chapter do you have? I have 32. Oh. Oh, yeah. My bad. <laughs> That's okay. No, no problem. <laughs> yeah, 37, 1 through 14. That would be better for uh, otherwise. Post-Easter. Otherwise, my sermon is, is going to dr- change drastically <laughs> for this week. <laughs> Yeah, our, our sermons are based on uh, on scripture always, yeah. and uh, pastor always takes them from from one of the readings. Okay, okay. all right, there I'm you go. Sorry, no, no problem. Um, I, I misread. Thirty-two looked like thirty-seven. <laughs> Time for new glasses. <laughs> 
The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Isn't this uh, the origin of that old song, them bones, them bones, them dry bones? (laughs) Hear the word of the Lord. Do you remember that song? I do. (laughs) So I'm probably not singing it right. If somebody knows that song. uh, I, I, I think... I think the really interesting thing about this uh, passage is how much it talks about the word of the Lord. Yeah. It seems like it's about the dry bones, but uh-huh. it's not. Yeah. Every time that it says, uh, as I prophesied, or prophesied to, right. that means speak the word of the Lord over the people. So yeah. it's always the word of the Lord that, that does this. It's not Ezekiel who... Yeah. Who causes these things? Well, this is, um, you know, this comes at a time in Israel's history when they have been exiled to Babylon. And they think the kingdom is done, Israel is over, they're dead, right? And, and, and in a way, what Ezekiel is, is prophesying to the people of Israel is this isn't the end. He's giving them hope. And he's telling them that uh, God's going to resurrect the, the nation. God's yeah, as bad bring as them it back looks. To the, as bad as it looks, God's going to bring them back. He can still do it. Anyway. Now, there's a, there's a reason we, uh, we use this lesson in our Easter season. Of course, this is the second week of Easter. And why do we use this in the Easter season, Lee? Because of the resurrection. Because, it, because it's a clear picture of the resurrection here. Uh, just as Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, what God, what God uh, promises to each of us and, uh, and this was in our Old Testament lesson on Sunday, um, is that we will rise as well. 
Uh, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand on the earth, and even after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Uh, Jesus tells us there's coming a day when those who are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of Man, and those who hear it will live. So this is a very much a promise of the resurrection to come. You know, when we take our loved ones to the graveyard, and we bury them, and we contemplate the fact that we ourselves uh, will go and rest in those places. Um, it can be a very horrifying thing. It can be a very depressing thing as we think about it. And what God, the promise that God makes to us in the midst of all this death is that because Jesus lives, we shall live also. It's just a wonderful thing to, to remember. Now, you did say something, and this I think you got the key to the whole passage here, uh, is about the breath and the prophesying. Now, it's an interesting feature of both the Greek and the Hebrew languages that um, the, the same, the, the word for spirit and the word for wind is the same word, right? It's the, in both languages, it's the same word. And uh, so you have this wind coming. This first of all, Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Ezekiel speaks, and you know when you speak, what what is happening? You have wind coming out of your coming out of your mouth, right? You can't speak without breathing, and uh, and so this you have this wind that's passing out of your mouth, and um, and so when he speaks, the wind, the spirit of God. Is moving. You know, when, uh, when, when the word is preached, when the gospel is preached, it's more than just the words of men. It is the word of God. And the spirit of God inhabits the preaching. It's, it's so important to listen to preaching. Because God makes a promise about that. When we hear biblical, scriptural preaching, we are, uh, we are being... Uh, blown upon, we might say, by the Spirit of God. And God is adding life. You know, in Genesis, when God creates man, what does he do? He takes him from the dust of the ground and he does what? Breathes into his nostrils. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And man, and, and Moses tells us, a man became a living soul, right? We also see this in the discourse between Jesus and Nicodemus mm -hmm. when, uh, when Jesus said that it's like the wind blows where it will and we hear the sound of it but we don't know where it comes from or where it's going so it is a, is that you know, I yeah, assume that, you're, you're referencing yeah, that John 3 yeah. 14 I think yeah, yeah. And, 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 and what's funny is as Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the wind is blowing where it will right and sometimes we catch it sometimes we don't I, I think of uh uh, after the resurrection, when when Jesus breathed on the the disciples. Yes. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that. That's a very important point, because um, here you have uh, God breathing. the The reason that we live, the reason that mankind lived, is because God breathed life into them. Now, uh, the devil also spoke, right, in the garden, and he breathed out some some pretty deadly lies. Did God really say? Yes, God really said. Yeah, you will be like God, right? All these things that, that yeah. the devil spoke. Inspiring doubt. 
That's right. And when he spoke, when he breathed, he breathed death. You know, sin, that's what sin does. That's what the devil does with his lies. He breathes death into people. And whenever um, God's word is brought into doubt, you, can, you, you are feeling the wind of death there, right? Yeah. And uh, so man, when man listened to those lies of Satan, man died. Speaking of the Eighth Commandment. Yeah, that's right. This is, this is exactly what, lying about God. what Satan did. Is yeah. He slandered God. He slandered God, that's right. So, um, so you have uh, death came about as a result of sin, and man was something like these dry bones in the valley, right? In other, in other words, Christ Jesus came into a world that was dead in sin. And what did he do? Well, he began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand right and jesus went about doing good and healing all and teaching breathing life into his disciples and folks jesus breathed life into us when from the cross he said it is finished when from the cross he he declared that the, 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 the atonement for sin has been suffered by him. And when the, the work of salvation is finished by him on the cross, he's saying these things. And, he, and, and one of the things that John in his gospel does is he says uh, that, uh, when, oh, Luke, I'm sorry. Luke said, when he said these things, he breathed his last. And in his death, in his final breathing, he was bringing life to his people. Amen. And, and that's why when, as we will see here in the gospel lesson, when Jesus comes to his disciples and he breathes on them, it is this resurrected Lord who has won salvation for us, who has died and rose again on our behalf, who comes to his disciples and breathes on them and then tells them, as I... Uh, um, as the Father sent me, so I also am sending you. And what is he sending them to do? He's sending them to breathe, right? He's sending them to preach. And in the preaching of the church, as we declare the crucified and risen Lord, as we declare the hope that we have in Christ, as we declare eternal life that's available to everyone, because of the resurrection of Christ, we are breathing new life into their ears. And, and when people hear that message and, uh, and, and, and they believe it, what happens is, is they are they're really raised from the, from the dead. They have new life in Christ. And they, uh, and they live once more. When they were once dead in sin, St. Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. But God, who, uh, who is rich in mercy, when you were dead in sin, made you alive in Christ Jesus. He made you alive because he brought uh, the hope of the gospel to you and breathed it into your ears through the preaching of the cross, and, and, and you lived, and you will live. 
and you will live. That is, even though Christians, by, by the sanctification of Christ, share the grave with their Lord, even as we um, rest in peace, we might say, we remember the promise of Jesus which says, because I live, you shall live also. We remember Jesus who says to us, there is coming a day when all who are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of Man, and those who hear it will live. And that's the Easter hope that we have in the resurrection not only of Christ, but the resurrection to come of all who belong to Christ at his coming. Amen? Amen. All right. So what, we got a we got an epistle lesson too, right? Yeah, our, our epistle lesson, uh, the, an epistle is a letter that's written. And this By the letter. apostles to the church. Yeah, and in this, in this case, it's from uh, the Apostle John, the first letter, uh, starting at, at uh, chapter 5, verse 4, if I have it right. Uh-huh, yep, <laughs> you got it right. Uh, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. Yeah, okay, so... Uh, here, here again, we have this really, when John writes, he knows that his writings will be read, read aloud, and he knows that, that uh, this, this word of, that he's writing will be preached on, and so we have uh, the, the, the testimony, the testimony. Well, what is the testimony? It's the preaching of the cross. That's the testimony that God has of his son, that Christ came, born of a virgin, that he uh, uh, lived the perfect life, that he went to the cross and suffered for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, and that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. That is the testimony of God's Son. And, uh, and as we believe it, uh, that faith, that's the faith that overcomes the world. That's the faith that overcomes death in the grave. That's the faith that overcomes sin and all its consequences. Because... Uh, uh, we have a Savior who, who died and rose again on our behalf. Amen. So, and, and this, uh, this Savior who died and rose again is depicted for us, especially in the Gospel lesson. So, uh, we got our Gospel lesson for today, for this again, Sunday. Again, this is the Apostle John. And it's this is the Gospel of John. Uh, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, the English Standard Version. On the evening of the day, the first day of the week, doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand, put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I, I love this gospel lesson. It, it really is one of my favorites. You know, every gospel should be your favorite. Every gospel should be, should be rich and, and comforting. But this is especially rich and comforting. Uh, I'm, as I'm sure it was for the disciples uh, on the night when Jesus appeared to them. Uh, they all day long had been hearing these, I don't know what, rumors or, uh, you know, fantastic stories from mostly coming from these women, but uh, coming also from maybe a, a couple guys that had, had been on their way uh, out of town on, uh, on the road to Emmaus and coming back and, and telling them about uh, seeing the risen Lord and not quite believing it, right? Um, Thomas here in this lesson gets the moniker Doubting Thomas because he wasn't here, he didn't see, he didn't believe. Yeah, no, no one was going to pull something over his eye. Yes, that's right, yeah. He wanted to see the evidence. But the truth is, the truth is, all the, all the disciples were doubting. They were all doubting Thomases. And um, uh, the only difference was Thomas was the last one of the 12 to see Jesus, or the last one of the 11, I guess, to see Jesus alive. And um, so his doubts lasted longer than the rest of their doubts. Um, but anyway, here, so here comes Jesus after they've been hearing these things all day, and now he is coming to them. He's going to appear to them, the risen Lord, the one who has defeated death in the grave. And, and the, the first words he says to them is what? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Right? Peace be with you. Think don't, about that, don't folks. Worry. Yeah, think about that, folks. The first words uttered by the risen Savior is peace. Peace be with you. And then he says it again. He shows them his hands inside. Remember, this is what he's going to do for Thomas, right? He's going to show them his hands inside. But he shows them his hands and his side. He shows them the evidence of his, what, were, what was his death, right? And uh, and now he is uh, now he's going to show them. Now he says to them again, "Peace be with you." So what's funny is this. Not funny, but uh, it's uh, what's interesting about this exchange is that 
he declares peace to them, and this is really what the gospel is all about. The gospel is really a declaration of peace. It's God saying to us, I am not at war with you. I'm not going to hold your sins against you. Uh, you are forgiven. You are free because you have a Savior who died and rose again. And, uh, and so when Jesus says peace to his disciples, that's really what, what the gospel is all about. It's about peace with God. And uh, so you have him saying, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands inside. And then he says it again, peace be with you. So that sandwiched between these two declarations of peace is the crucified body, crucified and risen body of Jesus, which wins us peace. We have peace with God because Jesus died and rose again, right? Amen. And so he comes and he declares that peace to his disciples and he sends them to declare that peace to the world, to declare that peace to you and I, folks. And that peace is still being broadcast by God's will. He is still declaring, peace be with you. You know, we, um, in our communion liturgy, after the elements are uh, consecrated. And we believe, as Lutherans, uh, we believe that when, when the elements are consecrated, Jesus is there. Uh, we're not just remembering Jesus and remembering something he'd done. But the, the, symbolism. But the risen Lord is, pr is physically present with us. And he is, uh, um, and, and so he's there. And, and when we consecrate the elements, the first thing the pastor does is, is what? After the elements are consecrated, the pastor gets up from kneeling and he turns around and he does what? He holds the element up. Yeah. To be and, seen. and says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Here is the risen Lord coming to his people and once again declaring peace to them because of the of the crucified and risen body and blood of Jesus that comes to us. And uh, that's why communion is so very important, so very special, because Jesus comes here and declares peace to us. And uh, so here he is, and he breathes on his disciples. And, and, and here again in this breathing, it is, um, it is symbolic of the preached word. Jesus breathes on them, and they're going to go out, and they're going to breathe. He says, uh, as the Father sent me, so I also send you. And then we have this, um, this uh, absolution that he gives to the disciples. In other words, absolution is the forgiveness of sins. The, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord and the peace that he brings is all about the forgiveness of sins. And so just as he's declaring forgiveness of sins to his disciples, he tells the church to declare forgiveness of sins to sinners. And so he sends them out with this, what is called absolution, the word of absolution. And this is something that, um, uh, you know, our church, Lutheran church, I know Roman Catholics practice, Greek Orthodox. But when the pastor uh, breathes out the prophecy of forgiveness, when the pastor says, I forgive you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, however he does that, He's doing it under Christ's authority, and he's breathing life into us. Confession and absolution, very important sacrament in our church, because uh, that too is Christ breathing and Christ giving us life. When the pastor speaks that 
that word of absolution, it is a life-giving message of the forgiveness of sins in life. So, very, very wonderful. Well, uh, now, Thomas isn't there. Thomas doesn't see. And at first, Thomas doesn't believe until he's, he's presented. He's, he's rejecting the testimony yeah. Yes, that's right. Yes, it's wonderful how these lessons blend together, isn't it? But uh, but he doesn't believe until he until by God's grace he sees the evidence. He sees the risen Lord. He puts his finger into his hands and he puts his hand into his side, and he knows that Jesus, who died, has risen again. And then Jesus says to him, "What? Because you see, you believe. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe." And then John gives that purpose statement of his gospel. He says, um, there are many other things that Jesus did which, uh, 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 which are not written in this book, but these are written, especially his death and resurrection, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's and folks, written as a testimony. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's really, really what uh, the whole activity of the church is about. The whole activity of the church is about the forgiveness of sins and the declaration of peace that comes because we have a, a Savior who's crucified and risen again for us. Amen. So, uh, well, folks, we're coming to the end of our broadcast now. We want to thank you for joining us. Um, we want to remind you, if you don't have a church home, Gethsemane Lutheran Church is located at 219 East Church Street between the old YMCA and Rocky's Bicycle Shop. Our services are Saturday afternoon at 4.30 and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Saturday afternoon, 10 th uh, 4.30 p.m. and, and uh, Sunday, 10.30 a.m. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Uh, and we invite you to listen again uh, next week at 11.13 a.m. for another broadcast of the Wittenberg Door.